We started a series around about the second Sunday of February with a controversial title. The title, Kings, Queens, and Concubines. I've had so many calls, text messages, DMs from preacher friends who are like, what in the world is that series about? And they've looked at the graphic that you can probably see on the screen. And they said, okay, which one's the queen? Which one's the concubine? And I've said, well, your answer is called the ICANN Community Church Podcast, where you can subscribe to our podcast and actually... Uh, get all of the sermons, the archive, the catalog of sermons that we've preached perhaps over the last year, so that if this particular session today leaves you with more questions than answers, my advice, go back over the series, and perhaps one of those answers will be in a previous session. Woo! So how many of you are still hungry for this? Amen. We're going to read a passage, we're going to pray, and then we're just going to talk. Would that be all right? Passage comes from Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. And we'll read from verse 21 to 25. And I think it's important if you want to be clear about God's intention for couples and families, then perhaps the best place to start is where it all started in the beginning. And in the beginning, you do not see God ripping out Adam's ribcage to make for him a harem of friends. You see him taking one rib, and of that rib, he makes a woman. And we're going to read into it right now. Genesis 2, 21 and following. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Well, let's try that again. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And all the people said, Amen. One more time, all the people said amen. amen. So, in conclusion of this series, Kings, Queens, and Concubines, I'm going to speak into our collective destinies from the subject. Two funerals at a wedding. Two funerals at a wedding. And just in case, you're wondering if Bishop has had enough sleep. <laughs> Let me assure you that if two individuals are going to become one flesh, then their individuality and their individualism must die at the altar. So that for every one wedding, on a spiritual level, there's a bye-bye farewell to how it used to be. When I was in control of everything and didn't need anybody's permission. God help. 
How many of you know it's deep already? Two funerals at a wedding. Let's pray. Let's pray harder. I mean, let's really intercede right now. Let's pray. <laughs> Sweet Holy Spirit of the living God, we need you now more than ever in times like these, perilous times, dangerous times, transitional times, difficult times, in some respects, toxic times. We need clarity from the scriptures. We need the wisdom, the mind, and the counsel of God. We need the Lord to build the house because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes but in vain. We need you, Lord Jesus, to intervene in this generation, stop the plague, save a generation from destruction. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have prayed. And all the people said amen and amen. So, of course, typically every February we devote the month to uh, this very, very important subject of uh, relationships, uh, courtship, uh, marriage, family. And this is a very important uh, subject because the family is the basic unit of society. And um, as such, it gives fabric and fiber to society. Uh, to the point that if you dismantle the family, um, you eventually dismantle society. And no society has survived um, turbulence, uh, transition. Um, no society survives without strong families. Strong families uh, provide for children uh, the informal education that you really need in order to make progress in the world. Because you see, formal education is designed to prepare you for the job market. But the informal education that you get from the observation of parents and from the transition, the passing on of values, uh, that is what really equips you for life. And so that if you, if you don't have it, and I'm well aware that we didn't all have it. Uh, but if you don't have it, um, life can shock you and even traumatize you because of the lack of the informal information that you need in order to survive. So I think it's important if we are going to stop the plague what do I mean by the plague? Um, there is a plague that's consuming parts of our society. And it is, it is the plague of children who at a very young age have no circle of accountability, no respect for authority, and are impressionable, gullible, and leadable by the worst elements in society. So at a very young age, a lot, of, a lot of kids feel like they know much more than their parents. A lot of kids think nothing of cursing their parents in public. Um, getting involved with drugs distribution, consumption, carrying a knife, bo you know, boasting about the might of their gang at all of 10, 11, and 12. That's a problem. And uh, actually, our generation must stop the plague because true wealth True wealth is a generational phenomenon. It's not really, um, it's not really an independent personal achievement. So you can personally become rich in your lifetime, but without succession, your bloodline will not experience wealth. Okay? Because there is a 
sociological phenomenon and a biblical fact that God blesses families and multiplies the blessing with each new generation so that a real patriarch, a real father, is not just thinking about his own lifetime. He's thinking about the third and fourth generation. He's thinking about his bloodline. He's thinking about actually impacting his bloodline and virtually immortalizing himself through some succession planning. And the Bible says it this way, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Oh, wow. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I like the way it says that this is a good man because it suggests that it is noble, virtuous, righteous, honorable, and good for a man to impact the economy of his grandchildren. That this is not, it's not bad. In fact, I might as well just dive in because I'm already kind of in, right? Uh, but many of us as Christians inherited suspicions about wealth and about uh, economic progress. We consumed a diet of abandonment, which meant that we were going to leave this world. This world was not our home. Our pie was in the sky. And so what we had to do in the world was endure it, survive it, keep singing, hallelujah anyhow, and then when we get over yonder, everything's going to be all right. So we consumed this psychology for years, and as a result, we had no generational vision. We weren't creating the platforms upon which our children could make actual progress. And we weren't seizing the opportunities that, that the 21st century extends to us all. There is an opportunity, if you're focusing on the right thing, to create systems, platforms, mechanisms that your children can benefit from uh, and take the brand to a new level. Uh, actually, you should want your children to go further than you, higher than you, to achieve more than you, and that's exactly how it's supposed to be. It's the generational blessing. So that Abraham is blessed, but when he dies, Isaac inherits his estate. Then Isaac builds on that estate an even bigger estate. And when he dies, Jacob inherits two generations of estate. And then he builds on that estate another estate, which is how a family became a nation. The family became a nation because with each successive generation, there was a platform to build on. The curse that we've got to stop, the plague we've got to stop, is each new generation starting from scratch. Okay? They shouldn't start from scratch. You may have started from scratch, but you should be determined that your children will not start from scratch, and your children's children will definitely not start from scratch. They will start with an advantage. I wish I had some help in here today. They will start with an advantage. And life in that respect is like a relay race. I think of life as the relay race. That's the, my great metaphor for life, which is that... In the relay race, your team members, your team players are not beside you. They are behind you and they are before you. And your job is to take something from what was before and deliver it to what's coming after. That's the great metaphor for life, that we are, that, that we are in a... We're in a team sport that nobody can win by themselves or for themselves. You literally have to receive something from what was and deliver it to what will be. And, and when it's your leg of the race, your job is to run hard and to run fast, but to focus on the fact that I don't 
I don't win because I outrun the other. I win when I successfully transfer what was given to me to the next generation because no matter how fast you are in your run, you can cause the next generation to lose time if the transition is not smooth. Because you can drop the baton. God help now. You can drop the baton. And so the skill, the skill woo, in the relay race is that the next runner must not wait till the last runner has finished before he or she takes off running. You must take off running with nothing in your hand. Listen to me, rising generation. Take off running even if there's nothing in your hand. Even if you don't have the resources to build what you see in your heart, take off running anyway. Because the skill is to look forward while reaching backwards. I got to look ahead while I'm reaching back. And I'm reaching back by faith. Because it simply means that while I'm moving, I'm expecting something to land in my hand. I wish I had some help in here today. You've got to take off running. And your job is to encourage the next generation to take off running. Even if you have nothing in your hand, just, just reach back. Because it's a matter of time before something is deposited into your hand. But if you are standing still, you're only going to stall and crash the entire process. You're going to lose time. And this is why family is so important. It's, it's important for reason of succession. But family cannot be defined purely in the nuclear context. Yes, that's how we think of families. You know, husband, wife, children. That's it. Well, there are many families that are, have a single parent. Equally, a family. Can I hear an amen? There are many families that uh, actually are, are of a spiritual nature. The house, the church right now is a spiritual family. Did you know that? That's right. Well, welcome to our family, by the way. And welcome to our house. You know, we're, we're, we, 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 we want you to feel comfortable because you've come to our house. We're spiritually connected. We are a family. And then some of you have family in your community, your initiatives, your projects. They are family to you. But without family, you do not have succession. So even if you don't find yourself the progenitor of a biological family, you need to care about the next generation so much that you're willing to adopt people and mentor them as a coach and as a role model and as an inspiration and realize that that is equally a biblical family. I wish I had some help now. And in fact, in many respects, it, it is an even greater form because whereas you do not choose who you're biologically connected to, you do choose who you are spiritually and psychologically connected to. And because your choice and your intentionality is in it, it's almost deeper, if that makes sense. It, it, it's, it's, it's deeper. My beloved preachers are here, so let me tell you that Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, said that God will send Elijah before the great day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and children to the fathers. He will reconnect the generations. Because you disconnect generations, he literally ends off by saying, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The curse is the disconnected generation whereby children are growing up without generational knowledge generational wisdom, generational experience. They're being disconnected from parents, from grandparents. It's just, it's, it's a tragedy. But he said, Elijah's going to come and he's going to reconnect. And I used to think to myself, why Elijah? I don't get it. I don't remember Elijah doing anything to do with the family. I thought Elijah was the one that brought fire down from heaven and he, he worked certain miracles and, and prophesied to the kings, but I, I didn't see him much as a family man. 
But it's when you begin to study Elijah, you will realize that he is the first. Watch this now. He is the first man of God to take another man's biological son and make him the heir to his estate and his anointing. He took Elisha and said, Elisha, I am going to leave my mantle to you, even though you're another man's biological son. And this was unheard of in the ancient world because you only ever uh, left your estate to your biological sons. But Elijah said, I'm going to leave it to you. And when Elijah was being taken up into the heavens, Elisha cried, my father, my father. Kind of a relationship that they have. This was, there was something paternal in the relationship. He didn't just see Elijah as a man of God. He saw Elijah as dad. And see, when you, and see, see, that doesn't require biology. So if you don't have children, all right, check this out now, you are still required to parent the next generation. You are still, you still have the opportunity to invest in the future and to bring your wisdom, your experience, your generational knowledge to what is next. It's beautiful. It's a very, very important subject. And because it is so important, I think the devil has targeted families because he knows that a house divided against itself is brought to desolation that people fighting themselves don't need a devil the devil can take a vacation if he can get us fighting each other and uh so i think he targets families and gets people majoring in minors and making a mountain out of a mohill in order to disrupt the unity, the collective decision of that unit. So what we're going to do today is we're going to declare war on the devil. And we're going to save our families. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> it's deep. <laughs> so if we're going to save our families... We're going to have to realize that for one wedding, there must be two funerals. God help now. That's right. Because whoever I was with my rights, my independent individuality, consult no one, need no one's permission, affirmation, agreement, that person has to die at the altar. Help now. Don't worry. I, I, I know when I'm preaching good. Because I can hear you in the spirit. Ouch! I, I, want, I want to keep my individualistic style and yet stand in the altar making promises that are a total pack of lies because you have no intention of doing anything but that which you have always done. So there has to be, for the two to become one flesh, then they have to cease being two. And they have to become one. And I want to say today that the one may be born at the wedding, but the wedding is not the beginning of the oneness. See, when you're born, that's the moment you're manifest. But you were in formation for nine months before that. 
So I think of the wedding as the birth of a new man. And, 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 and I like it as a metaphor because it suggests that there's formation before the wedding. And it suggests that there's more formation after the wedding. Because if you don't realize that the wedding is the birth, then you start to think of your birth certificate as a PhD or you think you've arrived at something, which was your goal, to get married. And now you have achieved the goal, you're done. Because <laughs> I did it. Because I always wanted to get married. And now the day's coming. And the dress fits. And everyone's in place. And everything's great. And you are investing your entire life and your mind into this day. But can I tell you something? The wedding is a day. The marriage is a life. And whatever happens on the wedding day is the birth of something that will need to be fed. Lord, help me now. Something that will need to be nurtured, protected, nourished, and grow. Because if you neglect it, it will die. No matter how beautiful the birth was. I really know what I'm talking about. It will die. If you neglect. And see, the problem is we take this thing for granted because the wedding is the be-all and the end-all for some people. If you ask them, you know, what is your life? What is the goal? What's the dream? What's the, what's the end game? It's, it's so vague. Well, we're just going to just flow, man. It's just going to be awesome, you know? We're just going to just take it to another level. What are your goals? Well, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna go with God. You see, you see, you're missing the metaphor. It's a very important metaphor here. That the wedding is the birth of the one new man. The birth of a baby. Which suggests there's formation before the wedding, and there's continued formation after the wedding. Everyone say formation. formation. So this is very important. So if, with your permission, I'm going to talk about the before formation. And then I'm going to talk about after. Will that be all right? Yeah. And, you know, and I've pledged to, to, to our church that, you know, my deal is I, I'll tell you everything I wish I knew. Okay? And then you can do with it whatever you want to do. But I did it. After this month, I'm done. I'm going into all the other kingdom stuff. You're going to make the most of this month, okay? And make it happen. So, formation. Please understand that for a healthy birth, there is a time, a period of gestation, formation. And if you are prematurely born, you are going to need uh, uh, a, a period of hospitalization, uh, intensive care, and specialist treatment because you are premature in your birth. Because you are not formed, but you're trying to be born. Are you ready now? There are three stages. Come on now. How many? There are three stages. Listen to them very carefully. Number one is dating. Everyone say dating. Number two is courtship. Number three is engagement. Number four is the birth. So there are three stages leading up to the birth. Now, I know you're going to look at me. You're going to say, Bishop, not in the real world, mate. Not in the real world, I tell you. You just don't get it, do you, Bishop? It doesn't work like that in the real world. Yeah, but what I do know about your real world is that it's so messed up, it's collapsing like every single day. It's just not fulfilling anyone. So what, let's just consider a template for how it should be. Even if it's not that way, the template will be useful because it's going to help you to gauge, okay, well, how far off am I from the template? 
Because if we don't have a gauge, I mean, listen, you could be going the wrong way. It's okay. But so long as you have a map, you're not going to be too far. You're going to find a way back to something that makes sense. So I also understand that we're talking to lots of different types. Lots of scenarios are here today. So there are young people who are considering, you know, know, just getting married one day. And there are people who've been married and are never going to do it again, but they keep accept that they probably are. And then there are people that have been bereaved of a partner, and the whole subject is sore. And there are people that have had multiple partners, and everything has failed. You've lost all confidence in your ability to even even, uh, uh, be a good judge of character. And there's lots of complications here. But I'm going to try to deal with all of the complications in a few simple principles. Would that make sense? Simple principles. Let's all say simple principles. So principle number one. So listen, in the formation of the new person, remember, there are two people. Their individualistic identities are going to die at an altar when a new person is born. Okay? I know y'all looking at me like, no, he's not. I'm not. I'm going to be the same person, no idiot. And it's fine. You're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Okay? I'll be there for you even when it breaks up, the counseling, everything. I will be there to support you. But I need you to understand, just, just hear me out for a little bit. Okay? There are people going into marriage with all kinds of secret money. Y'all ain't going to hell. Because that's my money. Okay? Right? Then don't let me talk about sex. Because everyone's got rights. Right? You're going to read some Bible here. We're going to read some Bible here. Okay? And then let me talk about some of these other things, you know? This is my time, my space. I want my space, my time. You can have it, but you have to negotiate it now. You don't just take it. You need to read your Bible. He that is single can do anything he wants to do unto God. When you're married, you're going to prioritize your partner. So there's going to need to be two funerals at the wedding. Deep. So here are the simple principles, okay? So for the proper formation of that new person, the starting point is dating. Let's all say dating. One more time. Let's say dating. Everyone say dating. Say mating. Okay, let's try it again. Say dating. Dating. Capital D. Dating. Okay, so so the point in dating is not mating. That's not the point. I'm going to show you why you're going to start going left and there's a a, a malformation. The actual point of the dating is the collection of data. Everyone say data. Let's say research. Let's say information, accurate information. Can I tell you that almost anything and everything you need to know about a person, they are actually telling you in the earliest stages if you care to read it. They're telling you what they're like. And let me tell you how badly they're telling you what they're like. They are on best behavior The entire dating process is stage managed. Lights, camera, action. (laughs) They're turning up for the evening in their best. And they're on best behavior. So if their best behavior is bad, it is still their best behavior. If in the dating you are a selfish, that is your best behavior. Get get it out of your head that this person's going to change. 
Your job is not to decide whether you can change them at this stage. Your job is to decide, can you live with it? Because that's, that's, that is their best behavior. <laughs> he don't want to pay. That's his best behavior. He walked through the door and didn't even look back to see if, to see if the door was still open when you, when you walked. That is his best behavior. Huh? His phone is always busy. It's always off. That is his best behavior. He snaps. He makes you feel awkward when you ask a question. That is his best behavior. That is him stage, managed, lights, camera, action. He, it doesn't get better from there. <laughs> Y'all ain't going to help. <laughs> this, is, this is why you don't allow yourself to become emotionally attached, locked in, tied down at a stage when you should be collecting information to see if this is the kind of person you could be in a relationship with. You have to take the dating to its platonic essence. You can't be in love. And you're dating. So what happens when you get some data that you don't like? Now you got to tear your heart apart. When all you needed was a bit of patience to say, all I'm doing is collecting info. Because you're going to tell me what you're like. Which is why this needs to be a platonic zone, because if it's not platonic, you're going to instantly start trying to change the person. And guess what they're going to do for you? When you tell them exactly how you, you think they should be dealing with you, you know what they're going to do? They're going to act. They're going to act. They're going to be exactly how you told them to be. They're going to act until they don't have to act no more. And you're going to say you've changed. You didn't change. You were that way when I met you. I told you off. You're different. Now you don't need to be different. You're the same. Your job is not to change people in the dating. Your job is to decide whether you can live with that. Because it may never change. Come on, somebody. It may never change. I need you to look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you may never change. Doesn't mean you can't find love. Someone's going to love you. Someone's going to love you just the way you are. Who said that? Was it Barry? Don't go changing. Because someone's going to love you just the way you are. Isn't that right? Which is why if you get into a relationship that is automatically manipulating, dominating, controlling, and stifling of your individuality, that is a piece of information you cannot overlook. If you're constantly feeling like you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're, 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 there's something wrong, you've got to change, you've got to change, you, you've lost the, the, the color of your natural personality and character because you're being forced to fit someone's ideal of who you're supposed to be. That's an important piece of information you cannot afford to overlook. And you've got to keep a cushion around your soul. You've got to keep the cushion around your soul. Because it's harder to detach from that once you're emotionally engaged.
Because in the dating stage, you need to know first and foremost, can we be friends? Lord, help me now. Friends. I heard they're coming back together. Friends. <laughs> I heard, they, heard they're doing another show. Friends is what I'm talking about here. Can you be friends? Because the reality is that in the, the post-birth formation, life will show you good, bad, and ugly. Life is not all dating or courtship in the second stage after the birth of the one new man. And what you're going to need in good times and bad times is a friend. And you're going to need your partner to be your best friend. And you didn't have to wait till you were married to figure out if we could be best friends. You start collecting that data from the day one, from the day you say, okay, I'll go movies with you, or I'll go out and eat with you, or I'll go into, you're collecting your data there and then. That makes sense? Lord help me. Trouble in the church right now. So ladies, I want you to understand something today. I want you to understand that there's a battle that men love to fight, but they hate to win. Men love to fight it, but they hate to win it. The battle is to get you in bed. And they'll fight. But if they win, there's little hope that this formation will come to its fruition. I didn't say none. Help oh, now. Did I say no hope? No, I did not. The devil is a liar. I never said that. But there's something that's actually happening when you win a fight that you didn't really want to win. So they're going to fight to get there early. Anyone ever met people like that? I know you're all saying, oh, oh, you're talking about outside the church. No, I'm not. <laughs> you ever met people like that? I'm not. First date, second They're like boxers going into the ring, like a countdown. <laughs> I'm going to get her in three. I'm going to get her in two. It's going to knock her out first round. That's what's going on in their head. Because they too are on a journey. They, they, they weren't born saved. So... You need to fight that fight for good reason. Can I give you some good reasons to fight that fight? Do you mind? Would that be all right? Are you sure? Is the door... That door's open, right? That door's open. Sometimes I need to escape, see? Because it's not, you know, it's people. Some of them are not safe. There are some of these people out here. Um, so... Years ago, in the, in the, in the ancient world, um, the, the cost to a woman to, that's right, the phone's off now, but the cost of a premarital sexual encounter was a baby. That's it. Highly, highly likely, you're going to have a baby. And you don't just have a baby like you get a Christmas present. The baby is going to define the rest of your life. Okay? So to her, the cost was so high that she wasn't going to give that to you unless you stand before God, hmm? renounce any other person, put the ring on the finger, and 
lock yourself into a contract for life. You're going to do that, then I'll take that risk. Because outside of that, it's all my risk. Now, that was the world up until about the 60s, 50s, 40s, who knows? <laughs> who knows when it all started? But we do know that with the advent of cheap contraception, this changed the game and took us into an era of free love. Is that right? And what this meant was, okay, that's no longer the cost to me, and therefore, you don't have to do all of that. Then what happens is, because each generation inherits the psychology of the previous generation, and it compounds, you get down the line to where today, in some cases, the price, the price tag has been ripped off. You don't have to pay any price. You can have it just because you smiled. You said hello. You said, hi, my name is so-and-so, what's yours? And, and where, where that's emanating from is shattered self-esteem. Like it's been shattered by something, battered by something, to where you can't see yourself clearly in the mirror, because when you look in the mirror, you see brokenness. And actually, part of what salvation is meant to do is to replace that mirror, because that mirror is giving you a false reading of who you are. And you're supposed to then see yourself in the word and realize that actually you are a queen worth so much more than a drink. <laughs> All right? You're worth more than a drink. So now you have to uh, put a value on that. A what? <laughs> because if that becomes, when, whenever that comes in, it will dominate the relationship moving forward. So the data you were meant to collect while you were dating, it will all go out the window. There will be no more data collection. Is that right? How do you know? There'll be no more data collection. If that phone rings, it's ringing about one thing. And now you're aborting already the new person who could have emerged. Just for a bit of temperance. You know what I mean by temperance? You think you know what I mean by temperance? <laughs> Self-control. You could keep the dream alive. Does that make sense? Okay. But there are other battles. There are battles that women love to fight but hate to win. All right? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Yeah. And it's the battle to become the most important thing in your life. That's right. I want to be the most important thing in your life. And the minute you are, you start losing respect for him. Because actually, you need him to have vision. You need him to not be afraid of you. You need him to be able to say no. But the minute he can't, he, he, you find it hard to respect him. Which explains the attraction to thugs. I plan to go there today. I'm going there. I need to explain the attraction to thugs because it's confusing. It's confusing all the nice guys among us. Did you know that? All the nice guys are confused. Do you know why they're confused? Because they know I'm a nice guy. I'm a good man. I'm, I'm chivalrous. I'm courteous. I'm kind. I'm polite. And she's nice to me. But she's really turned on to him. Who's him? The thug? Huh? The gangster? The bad boy? What, what is it about the thug, the bad boy, that you're attracted to? 
Well, there's a bit of biological history to this. There's a bit of biology involved. But I, I, I wanted to address it today because we need good men. Right? Uh, because, you see, the, the thug is already telling you up front, telling you, I will not be faithful to you. Um, and if you make me angry, you're getting it just like I'm giving it to other people. The thug is telling you that up front. But you're willing to overlook that because there's something about his... his, his <laughs> that really attracts you. He's just like, fears no one, does his own thing. Well, there's a bit of biology involved there because biologically what you're looking for is a protector to protect you. When you see strength in a man, it's attractive. And that that's, that's, tends to be the thing. So good men, listen to me. If you're a good man, don't become a thug to win over someone who's deluded. What you do need to do is to become a decisive good man who has an opinion and doesn't and and is not going to back down from it pretend that it's not your opinion in order to make everyone feel good because actually not making her love you more it's actually making her disrespect you more god help me now you need an opinion well, there's something wrong with a man that doesn't have an opinion. God help me now. I know I'm in trouble, but there's something wrong with a guy that doesn't have an opinion. Well, ladies, you ready for your nightmare? Can I give you your nightmare right now? Are you ready for the nightmare? It's very, very simple. The guy has finally talked you into a date. We're going on a date. You've agreed. For you to even agree, you've already let down a little bit. Said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to investigate this. He's now, you've agreed. And he's, he then says, uh, 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 maybe... Uh, um, Tuesday, like uh, maybe Saturday, already you're feeling a bit awkward. You tell me a time, man. <laughs> you're already feeling awkward about him trying to put on you the responsibility of when this is supposed to be. Your worst nightmare is that he turns up and he says, where'd you want to go? <laughs> Brother, you're missing the point entirely. I need you to have an idea about what you want to do and where you want to go. I want to follow you. I might not like the movie, but I like that you like the movie. So I'm not telling good men to become bad, just become decisive. Clear. Don't become arrogant with your decisiveness because this one brother, he's, he, left the, he left the marriage retreat and came home to his wife and said, listen, things are going to change around here. <laughs> he said, I know who I am and I know I'm the head of this house. And from now on, it's going to be my way. He didn't see her for three days after that. Well, tell a lie. On the third day, he could see her a little bit out of his right eye as the swelling subsided. Uh, <laughs> she let him know. But see, you could find all this out in the dating. Did you know that? You could figure so much out if you just did the dating right. Because then there's another stage, and that's courtship. Everyone say courtship. I didn't say court. <laughs> courtship. Because that's another stage. That's not dating, because dating is platonic. It's meant to be platonic. And courtship is not platonic. Courtship is now we've actually agreed that... We want to pursue the possibility of a future together forever. That actually now becomes exclusive. It's exclusivity. And therefore, there is a... And listen, and ex exclusivity is an important key here. Because if you're dating platonically, there is no obligation to be exclusive. Isn't that, isn't that right? Okay. Unless, of course, you're al you know, you've already gone so far ahead in your mind that it's... It, you're on two different pages. 
you're courting, you're dating. Be clear. Ask straight, what are we? Ladies, look at someone by the side of you and say, what are we? <laughs> now, Because here's the opportunity that courtship is going to give you. At this stage, the opportunity you're going to have is to know a person beyond the platonic. And what that means is, get ready for this one. This is going to hurt, but I knew I was going to hurt everyone today. This was the plan all along. <laughs> you got to be cruel to be kind. You cannot know the stage managed performance of the best behavior of your date. You have to know the real person, which you cannot know until you know them around their family and friends. God help me now. Because see, now you have a right to come into their family and friends. And like, who are you really? Because who you are as a stage managed person doesn't really tell me who you are. So let me, let me just get cruel now. So any man that's going to shout at his mother is going to shout at you. Just mark it down in your book. It is, is what it is. Is that right? Show me your friends. I didn't say that, but you all said it. Because you could be the nice boy, the pretty boy, but all your friends are thugs. What does that actually tell you? Information is going out to you. Does that make sense? You have a right to more information about history. What kind of history am I talking about? History. You have a right to ask questions about history. And you should ask questions about history. Because if you understand history, you may begin to understand destiny. And I'm not talking about the first day of courtship. Calm down. You don't force a baby to be born. You, you, you let it form. Isn't that right? Don't be like, okay, we're courting now. Right, I want to know everything. <laughs> About the, give me your phone. Give me your phone. I want to know. Now that courtship's over. I'm just telling you now. It's not. You're not allowing it to form. You're 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 forcing it. Okay. Don't have time to finish the courtship. Suppose we get to engagement now. What's happening at engagement? What are you doing? This is now your public declaration to the world that this is who you have chosen for each other. Why is the declaration important to be published to the world? Well, it's two reasons. One, it's locking you in. Two, it's locking them out. And sometimes you have to lock in and lock out. Not for sale. What the engagement is, is not for sale. Sold. You ever been in a store, you've seen an item, yes, it's exactly what I'm looking for, only to turn the th sold. That's when you're sold. Then what's going to happen? You're going to plan a wedding. God help, some people are going to kill themselves planning a wedding. Some people are going to, some people are going to plan a wedding and have no plan for a marriage. Make sure your plans for your wedding don't exceed your plan for your marriage. Make sure you invest more in planning your marriage. Come on now, because your marriage is a life. Then you're going to get married. You know what's going to happen at your wedding? There'll be two funerals. Your right to your secret money, gonna die. <laughs> Even biblically, your right over your body is gonna die. Your right to go in and out as you please with no explanation 
it's going to die. You're right. I'm going to cause so much trouble here today. <laughs> You're right. Your right to a passcode is going to die. All your rights to your individual life, that's all going to die. But it's going to be okay because you went through a process of formation that already gave you the assurance that I want to be one new person with this new person. You already, you already crossed those hurdles. You, you don't have doubts. You don't have apprehensions about it. You're not afraid. Now, I'm not saying this is what happens in every case. It's not. But it's a useful template to know and to hear a preacher say, okay, good. Let's date, get data. Then I can decide if I want to go into courtship. Then I can decide if I want to go into engagement. And then when we get married, there's going to be two funerals at the same time because the one new person is going to require the sacrifice of the two old people and then this one new person is a baby crying she is going to be crying now you might not be aware of that on the honeymoon when you come back you will be aware that this baby is crying this baby is crying to be fed so what fed it before did you pray together before you need to be praying together now was church a part of feeding it? Do you know, the, one of the, I tell you the biggest, saddest thing I've ever lived to witness in my life is people meet each other in church. Okay? Get married in church. Then stop going. Because they're busy now. There are things to do. And then are shocked that the marriage doesn't work. Well, Whatever was feeding it in the first place, you've just cut off. How do you cut off what was making it in the first place and it's still going to be okay? It's not still going to be okay. You have to feed it because it's still going through its infancy, its adolescence, its young adult, and various people are at different stages. Why well, you can't judge. You can't judge. You know, it's so sad when people try to judge the quality of a marriage based on their stage. Especially when you get people married one year and are ready to do marriage counseling, uh, coaching. Going to help all the couples. What do, you, what do you know about helping couples? Because the, the relationship will be a child. It's then going to become an adolescent, become a teen. It's going to become an adult. And it's going to take on a different character as it grows and as it evolves. Isn't that right? But it's one new person and you're feeding it. And you're blessing it and you're covering it. All right. Was that okay? So far, so good. Was it all right? You sure? All right. You're not mad at me? You sure? Good. Good. Because this week, this Saturday at Bible school, Antioch Bible school, this Saturday, the discussion piece will be around dating and Christian relationships and you can ask any anonymous question you want to and Pastor David and Pastor Clinton can answer the questions for you and Minister Kim and Joe but you can just send them any anonymous questions and uh, we're going to try to deal with those uh, I want you to stand with me I want to pray over, over us collectively today Amen. Amen. I want you to lift your hand up to the Father. And we're going to pray. Now, Father, we are so grateful that you are the God who deeply cares for us, who has plans for us, purpose for us, and wisdom for us. We're praying, Father, for the formation 
of relationships. And we're praying, Lord, for wisdom in the formation. We're praying for wisdom in the formation. Wisdom in the formation. Before and after. Wisdom in the formation. Open our eyes, God, and help us to see what we could not see before. Help us to see more clearly than ever before. And help us to know, Lord, that your plans for us are are plans for good, not for evil. To give us hope and a future. To give us legacy and succession. To give us stability and longevity. Stickability and roots. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus for every person that is looking, seeking, searching, praying about this very issue, that as the eyes of our understanding are enlightened, we will see what we couldn't see before and we'll be aware of what was hidden to us before and we'll make sound judgments, righteous decisions, walking in wisdom, grace, faith, and favor. Father, we thank you that this has been a house where marriages were born we declare in the name of Jesus that many more marriages will be born in this house we declare in the name of Jesus that marriages will be restored repaired, renewed revived, strengthened Father we are grateful that there is a healing wave in the house we release it now, we speak it now we bless every person under the hearing of my voice we bless in the name of Jesus God, we are looking to you, the lover of our soul, the author and the finisher of our faith, to get glory from our lives, our story, and our testimony. And this we have prayed in the name of Jesus forever. All the people said amen and amen. All right. If you're one of them that 2020, 2021, 2022, whenever it is, is going to be an amazing year of birthing new possibilities in your life, give Jesus a great hand clap. Thank him for it now. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit, or even to join. And if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www iCanCommunityChurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.